following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Let me say a few things by way of introduction. What do we believe about the Bible? Do we believe it is the truth? Do we believe all of it is the truth? Or, could we be tempted to say, well, I believe the major stuff, but some of the things I've read in the Bible just sound a little far-fetched. Or, how about, well, I like the New Testament just fine, but... The Old Testament just doesn't seem relevant to me. Or my personal favorite. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. No. God said it. That settles it. So that, that middle part's not necessary. See, once God says it, that's the end of the story. God said it. So, so, do we believe that? We ought to because that was Jesus' perspective on the truth of the Word. That's what Jesus taught. See, we can't say things like that and still remain faithful to the teaching of the Bible. We have to take it all, every bit. We don't get to choose which parts we think are true and which parts are not. Because if we, if we start to do that, then that makes us sitting in judgment over God's Word. Like we're more powerful than God. And that's simply not the case, right? So, I need to say something else about today's Scripture and sermon before we dive in. Thursday was the 23rd of February, and I had the privilege of hearing from a gentleman named Jeff Struker. Now, now Jeff Struker uh, was an army ranger and then a chaplain. You may... Um, whether you know his name or not, you may recognize who he is because if you've ever heard of a movie called Black Hawk Down, that was based on his unit in the army in Somalia. He was, he was one of the 99 of Task Force Ranger that was shot down in Mogadishu and was in that violent fighting. Now he is, uh, God's done amazing things in his life and through him. And uh, he served nearly 23 years on active duty service during which he was deployed 17 times on five different continents. He is, uh, in, in, the, in the military community, he's a household name. He is... Uh, considered historically in the last 30 years one of the 
one of the uh, finest rangers in the entire army ever. Now, he wouldn't tell you all that. I'm just telling you that's the facts. But you know what he does now? Preaches, teaches, talks about Jesus everywhere he goes. Which is interesting. Because I'm going to talk a little bit more about Jeff and about his message after we get into the Scripture. But he said something on Thursday that's prompted me to do some deeper thinking about my own life and ministry. And, uh, and here's what he said. He asked a question. He said a lot. It was very meaningful. I'll get to that in a minute. Here's the question he asked. I want everybody to really tune in and listen. He looked at this church full of mostly pastors and he said, is what you're living for worth dying for? And if it is, what are you doing? Let me say that one more time. Is what you're living for worth dying for? And if it's worth dying for, what are you doing? Now as I said, I'm going to talk a few few more minutes uh, later I'm going to talk a little bit about that not because that's the focus of the message but because it bears directly on the scripture that I'm about to read but before I read the scripture before I say anything else I want to apologize I want to apologize for not being more direct in my teaching and preaching. Now I apologize for not setting a more conspicuous and obvious example of what it looks like to live out the urgency of the gospel. And finally, I apologize for presuming that the consistent, faithful, truthful teaching of God's Word would be enough to motivate the body of Christ into action. Now I'm going to repeat those apologies before we finish up here at the end. But I, I just wanted to put that out there before we proceed because all of that has a direct bearing on what the Word of God is going to say to us here in just a, a minute. So, let me turn my attention and ask you to join me in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. The infallible, inerrant, and sufficient Word of God. Here's what Jesus said. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill... For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, 
you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Father, in Jesus' name, would you speak clearly to our hearts today? For Christ's sake, amen. Four verses, two truths. Straightforward. Simple, it looks like, but it's not. The first thing this text teaches us today is that Jesus fulfills the whole counsel of God. Jesus fulfills the whole counsel of God. Now let me tell you what that means to us. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish. He says, I came to fulfill. Now, now this, this little paragraph right here, these four verses, are the key for the rest of the whole Sermon on the Mount. The rest of chapter 5, all of chapter 6, all of chapter 7. This little paragraph is the key to all of that. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish, I came to fulfill. That means... When, when looking at the entire Old Testament Scripture, Jesus came not to change any of that, but to bring it to its fullest meaning and fulfillment. So when we read the Old Testament, the only way we're going to truly understand what Jesus lived and taught and the example He left us is to understand the Old Testament Scriptures are there not as a past tense used to be, don't need anymore. They are there to point us to Jesus. That's what the entire 39 books in the Old Testament point us to Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a well-known martyr of the faith, said Jesus has in fact nothing to add to the commandments of God except this, He keeps them. The only way for Him to fulfill the law is by dying a sinner's death on the cross. And there He embodies in His person the perfect fulfillment of the law. See, in all of Jesus' life and His ministry, He couldn't even conceive of something that was in opposition to the Old Testament. It was never about opposing previous Scripture. It was all about demonstrating and showing the truth of all the Old Testament Scripture. Living it out in Himself. Because He's the, he's the object of what the Old Testament's pointing us to. It's pointing us to Jesus. And the Bible says, Jesus said, not even the smallest letter or stroke will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. So there's no way Jesus could be more clear of how He viewed the Old Testament Scriptures. 100% truth and indispensable. Cannot do away with the Old Testament. We've got to have the Old Testament. So every time we're in the, Old Te- in the New Testament studying and thinking, well, I like the New Testament better than the Old Testament. Well, let me just remind us all, if we don't know the Old Testament, we'll never understand the New Testament. It all goes together and it all points us to Jesus. Now, how much... Is that the case? To what extent is that the case? Look at verse 19. Here's what Jesus says, as if what He had already said was not enough. In verse 19 He says, If anybody does anything to take away from any part of the Old Testament, 
least in the kingdom of heaven. Just, just look what he says. If you would know one of the least of these commandments. But it, he doesn't stop there. It's not just how we treat the Old Testament. It's how we lead other people to treat the Old Testament. He said, if you annul even the least of these commandments, or teach others to do the same. So, you understand the connection here? And we're going to see this again in just a second. It's not how we treat the Scriptures. It's not what we think about the Scriptures. It's not how how strongly we believe the Scriptures. It's also, how do we obey the Scriptures? How do we teach others to obey the Scriptures? See, there's a, there's a, uh, there is an individual component and there is a corporate component. How do I treat my Bible? Do I value my Bible? Do I read my Bible? Do I study my Bible? Do I obey my Bible? And then, do I encourage and instruct other people to do those things? In other words, am I making disciples? Or am I just kind of worried about myself? Am I trying to encourage others to be a devoted disciple of Christ? What am I doing? Is what you're living for worth dying for? And if it's worth dying for, what are you doing? We have to hold fast to the Scriptures. And we have to teach others to hold fast to the Scriptures. The ones who are called least in the kingdom of heaven are the ones who don't do that. But then the opposite case is given in the middle of verse 19 whoever keeps these commandments and teaches these commandments he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven so there's no um, confusion here it's pretty clear isn't it here's the word are you keeping it are you teaching others to keep it well if, if you're not then you're bottom of the barrel in the kingdom. If you are, you're at the top. Now, are we jockeying for a position in the kingdom of heaven? Well, no, of course not. That's not the point. That is the reality, though. That's the consequence of our actions. Right? So Jesus is trying to help us understand. You're not trying to achieve, you know, I want to get, you know, I want to be thought of as top in the kingdom. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. He's just saying, if you do this, this is what is going to happen. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. So the point there, in the end of verse 19, Jesus having fulfilled the whole counsel of God, whoever teaches these commandments, whoever keeps these commandments, greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So here's what we have to understand about that. We need to understand that undeniable connection between obedience and encouragement or obedience and teaching. Personal obedience is not enough. We have to teach others. And it's not enough to teach others. We have to be obedient. It works both ways. Right? And, and by the way, isn't this what the Great Commission says? I mean, right there, 
at the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, what did Jesus say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, right? That's the Great Commission. That's what it looks like to make a disciple. You preach the Gospel. And as people get saved and trust in Jesus, then you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then you teach them to observe all things that Jesus has commanded, right? It's not enough to obey ourselves, although that is necessary. But we don't stop there. We go on and teach it's not enough just to teach the law of Christ. It must be done. Otherwise, it's no better than the old law. Our attitude towards Scripture matters. What we do with Scripture matters because Jesus fulfills the whole counsel of God. Now, that's the first part. Verse 20 gives us the last part. Jesus fulfills the righteousness God requires. Jesus fulfills the righteousness God requires. So when you read verse 20, you first look at it and you might be discouraged because you think about the crowd Jesus is talking to and you think about who the scribes and the Pharisees are or were and you think about how their righteousness was seen as uh, almost unattainable because they were the ones who... Uh, enforced the law, so to speak, spiritually speaking. Now, they were also very hypocritical. They were real good at telling other people what to do and not so good at necessarily doing it themselves. But here's the point that Jesus is making. When you read verse 20, unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then it's almost like you can hear him say, well, now, before you get upset about that, let me tell you a little secret. I'm giving you my righteousness. When I go to the cross and I lay down my life for your sins and I'm your substitute and I atone for that with my sacrifice of my life, when I do that with my perfect righteous life in obedience to God's law, when I do that, I'm going to exchange my righteousness for your sin. So when Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 that he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What he's saying is when you come to Jesus and you surrender to Jesus, he takes your sin and wipes it out. And He hands you His righteousness, which is the only way you are going to enter the kingdom of heaven is with the righteousness of Christ all over you. That's the only way that happens. That's why Jesus said the things He said. When in John chapter 14 and verse 6, when He is talking to the disciples and Thomas asked the question, well, how do, how do we, we don't know where you're going. How will we know the way? And He says, I'm the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through Me. He meant that literally. No one comes to the Father except with the righteousness of Christ around them. How do we get that? We run to Jesus. 
We repent of our sins. We turn from our sinful ways and we embrace Christ and surrender to Him and become His disciple. Trust in Him for salvation. And then follow Him. It's not just a one-time decision. It's a lifelong application. Does that make sense? When you come to, let me put it this way, when you come to Jesus in faith and repentance, that's not the end of the race, that's the beginning of the race. You've just begun. You've begun your life of sanctification. You've begun this being set apart for Christ and following Jesus and His Word. And so from here on out, every day I'm trying to get more and more and more like Jesus. Am I going to stumble and fall along the way? Absolutely. But every day, The Holy Spirit of God is making me more and more like Jesus. And it's it's only through the righteousness of Christ that we are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So, here's the two truths. Your righteousness must surpass the scribes and Pharisees. Second truth. Your righteousness cannot surpass the scribes and Pharisees. That's terrible, right? It must and it can't. So, what's the... Conclusion, we need somebody else's righteousness. And we get that from Jesus. We only get it from Jesus. See, when we're saved and we've been redeemed by Christ, we start living our lives on a different level. It's a whole different level where... Now, keeping God's commandments is important. We can't imagine that when we have the Spirit of God, we can just do away with the law and the Spirit comes into our hearts and writes God's law on our hearts. And this is why entering into God's kingdom is impossible without this righteousness that's greater than the scribes and Pharisees. Because that righteousness is now evidence of a new birth in Christ. And nobody goes into the kingdom of heaven without being born again. So, you see how all this is tied to Jesus and and who He is and what He's done. And we, we can't get into heaven without Jesus. But, we can't live our life here without Jesus. It's not just a, well, one day when I'm going to heaven, I need Jesus. No, you need Jesus right now. You need Jesus every day. I I saw something silly on uh, social media weeks ago. And uh, it it was somebody saying... Well, do I need Jesus to go to heaven? And he said, man, I need Jesus to go to Walmart. I need Jesus all the time. I can't walk out the door without Jesus. Jesus fulfills the whole counsel of God. Jesus fulfills the righteousness God requires. This truth is the foundation for the Christian life. We have to have Jesus. Period. There are no other options. There are no substitutes. We have to have Jesus. Friend, if you're here today and you're living your life without Jesus, I don't have to even ask how your life's going. Because I know. 
Because I used to live my life without Jesus. I've been there. I know how terrible it is. I also know the complete transformation that starts to take place when Jesus takes control. You need Jesus. Now I told you at the beginning that I would get back to Jeff Struker, the Army Ranger, and his powerful words that I heard on Thursday when I was blessed to meet him and, and speak to him and just hear from God through him. This man has been in combat. And not just any combat. He has been engaged in some of the most violent fighting involving United States soldiers since the Vietnam War. And, and his stories are not my stories to tell. I was, I was thinking through all the things he said and all I heard and uh, how I w- wished I could just... He could be here and just share it with you firsthand because they're not my stories and I don't feel right telling stories that he told because I don't think that's right. Because it wasn't me. But he lost, he lost people. He lost people in violent and dramatic fashion. I mean, if you ever watch that film, uh, Black Hawk Down, or there's multiple documentaries after the fact that tell untold stories of that just just from folks who were also there. It's it's gut wrenching. I watched one of the documentaries, not the movie, but I watched one of the documentaries um, Friday after I'd gotten back from hearing that and it was still fresh on my mind. And just um, it was it was difficult to watch. Now why do I tell you that? That what does that have to do with the scripture? Let me tell you. When, when he was sharing some of his experiences with those of us who were there Thursday, he, he is still deeply moved by... I mean, these were events that... I want to say 1993, I think. But he, when, he t- when he recounts some of the things that happened, he's still deeply moved by his experiences. And, and he lost close friends at the hands of the enemy. And he's been miraculously and gloriously saved by the blood of Christ. And as he shared, the more he spoke, I could tell people in the room. I, I, I got to hear him in a group setting, and then we actually had a smaller group. We had lunch with him where it was a smaller group setting, and we could talk a little bit more candidly. And I looked around, sitting there at the lunch table, and I actually had one of my a friend of mine went with me who is also a retired Army Ranger. And um, just trying, you know, trying to be respectful and, and glancing at him and him listening to this other gentleman speak and just telling the, the connection of, of heartache from what they had experienced. And people in the room were also deeply moved by the seriousness of his story. And at the end of his speaking time, he had a few moments of question and answer, about ten minutes or so. And you know, people asked the different questions and he tried his best to answer and be gracious. And it got to the very end. It was time to go to the next session. And so it was time for us to be done. And, and he said, all right, one more question. 
And there was a young man that was seated at a table in the front. And he here's, here's his question. Do you believe pastors today understand and possess the urgency necessary to preach the Gospel and fulfill the Great Commission? And let me give you one other detail about that question. Just before that, and I told you I'm not going to tell his story and I'm not, but one of the men he lost in combat on those days in Somalia was a man, and you can look it up, you can verify it in the, in the film, it's all there. His name's Dominic Pilla. He was killed in that initial fighting. And this is a man who, this guy and, and this one who, who was killed, they, they were brothers. Brothers in arms. They were good friends. They, had, they talked all the time about all matter of things. But they never talked about Jesus. And then in, this, in, in, a, in a moment, in combat, this soldier was shot and killed right beside Jeff who was telling us. And at that moment, he knew because the Holy Spirit impressed upon him in that moment, you'll never be able to talk to him about Jesus. That opportunity is over. So it's in that context that this last question was asked. Do you believe pastors today understand and possess the urgency necessary to preach the gospel and fulfill the Great Commission? So this ranger stood there, still and quiet for a moment, and then he began to explain how he wanted to be very careful in what he was about to say. And I, I didn't write it down, I didn't record it, but let me just paraphrase his answer. He, basically he said, many, if not most, pastors have never been in life or death situations. They've not felt the reality of death in the context of war. And some have, to be sure, but most have not. Therefore, there is no necessary urgency in their gospel preaching or their disciple making. There's a lack of passion and seriousness that is required to approach the Great Commission with reckless abandon. So, I'm trying to, the only reason I'm telling you all this, I'm trying to help you understand why I was reflecting on some things from Thursday night until this morning. Why I ended up going back and actually rewriting half of this sermon and, and trying to figure out what I was going to say and how I was going to say it. And why I had to do some personal uh, reflection on my own life and ministry. And why I felt compelled to apologize to the church today. Because 
do I really understand the reality of life and death when it comes to sharing the gospel, making disciples? Do I really have the urgency that is necessary to preach the gospel and make disciples? Do do any of us really have the urgency necessary for this task? Or are we just showing up to church and checking it off? And Yeah, I went to church this week. I'm good. I I even went to Sunday school. I'm I'm extra God points for that. I mean, what, what are we doing? People are dying and going to hell. Or, or, do we take note of that? And see, I don't have the context. I've not been in combat. I've not had someone die right beside me that I could have told about Jesus but didn't. And then it was too late. I don't have that experience to fuel my urgency. And that's why I needed to apologize because the the plain truth is this. I shouldn't have to have that experience to have the necessary urgency to preach the gospel. I shouldn't have to have gone to war and lost brothers and friends to an enemy just to give me the right perspective to realize that people are dying and going to hell and they need Jesus and it's my job to tell them. And it's not just my job. Because when I say it's my job to tell them, it's my job as a Christian, not as a preacher. Y'all alright? You hear what I said? It's my job as a Christian to tell people about Jesus. And before it's everlasting too late. So, I meant it. I meant it when I said it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not being direct enough. And I'm I'm sorry for not setting a more conspicuous example. And I I say, listen, I tell people about Jesus. I do. I read my Bible. I pray I study. I try to I try to do what's right. I try to be a good pastor. I, I, I really do. But is that enough? Is it enough to motivate? I thought when I first became a preacher, I thought, all right, God, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna preach. I'm going to preach my heart out. I'm going to study. I'm going to make sure I got it according to your word. And I'm, if it's not, I'm just going to preach what's there. I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to preach the truth of Scripture and let the chips fall where they may. And I thought 20 years ago, I thought that would be enough. I thought, mistakenly, well, you just preach the word. People will do what they're supposed to do. That's not true. That is not true. It ought to be. It ought to be, but it's not. It's not enough. Now, does that mean I'm going to change my preaching? Nope. Because 
As long as I've got breath to breathe, I'm preaching the Word of God, and that's it. Right here. But, let me, let me close. I'll ask you one more time. Is what you're living for worth dying for? And if it's worth dying for, then what are you doing? That's a question I have to answer. That's a question I believe we all have to answer. And it's, it's two parts. First of all, what are you living for? And is what you're living for worth dying for? And if it is, what are you doing? What are we doing? It's not enough to just know what's right if you're not willing to do what's right. You've you got to know what's right in order to do what's right, but you've got to do what's right. We, we, we need to study the Bible. We need to know it. We need to meditate on it. We need to live it out. But we, we can't stop with the knowledge. We've got to do it. We've got to live it. And I've got to be first in line to do that. Because I learned a long time ago two things about being a preacher. I can't ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. And I can't expect you to be doing something that I'm not doing. And that's just, that's just how it is. That's the truth of God's Word. We have to know the Scriptures and we have to live out the Scriptures. And that means... Do we want people to come here and be a part of this body here at Berlin? Absolutely. But do we need to wait on them to come here? No. We need to be, wherever we are out, we need to be out seeking the lost. We need to be going after them. The Great Commission says go and make. It didn't say advertise, y'all come and we'll, we'll tell you. I hope this is making sense. Because when I stood up here this morning, I wasn't entirely sure exactly what was going to come out of my mouth. But I pray that it's that you've heard my heart. That's all I can that's all I can pray. So let me pray for us. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.